Well, good morning. We are continuing our celebration of Easter this morning. I know Easter, the particular Sunday, was last week, but we want to continue on because we want to explore, we want to understand, and be able to enjoy what it means that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what that means for us. And so last week we were talking about the experience of the resurrection, the first, the first experience of Easter, right, and mainly Jesus' experience and how people kind of mess it up when, when they get involved and they don't always believe when they have warrant for believing. And when it's for real people, we were talking about the resurrection of real people. This week we're, we're going to talk about a theological implication of Easter for us Theological implication, what does it mean for us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Because it means a great deal of important things. And to, to, uh, to start that out, to, to help us uh, enter into that, I, I want to I call attention to a certain feature that we have as people. I want to I help us do that by looking at a movie star. And that movie star is Penelope Cruz. Uh, you might recognize her. Uh, she's getting... Uh, getting to be a little bit older now these days, but a few years ago, 2008, Parade Magazine uh, was interviewing her, Penelope Cruz, and, and uh, the, the subject was about how gorgeous she looked in her recent movies. I mean, she was just beautiful on the screen, and uh, the, the interviewer was saying, what's your secret? What's your secret for looking so beautiful? And this is, what, uh, this is what Penelope Cruz had to say. She said, you know, I know myself when I look at myself. And I don't have any secrets for looking beautiful because I can look good and I can look ugly. It's Penelope Cruz on Penelope Cruz. Scarlett Johansson, around the same time, was voted sexiest woman alive, sex, or sexiest act actress alive. And she got this honor um, from Esquire magazine. And then I think it was seven years later, she got it again. She got this, this, this title again, Sexiest uh, Actress Alive. And then she was interviewed by Now Magazine about her appeal. It's like, what does it feel like uh, to be this person? She said, you know, I don't actually see myself as sexy. I tend to see the flaws in my appearance. Okay? Scarlett Johansson on Scarlett Johansson. Keanu Reeves, okay, also voted, you know, sexiest actor alive, you know, by Glamour magazine. And then a second year in a row, he got it. Second year in a row. So they were talking to him about, like, how is it, you know, how does it mean? He is so handsome, sexiest, sexiest actor alive. And this is what Keanu Reeves said, and this is how he said it. He said, quote, I'm not handsome or sexy. Of course, it's not like I'm hopeless. <laughs> That's Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Thank you very much. That was my best Keanu Reeves there. But you could just hear him say that in a deadpan way. I'm not handsome or sexy, you know. But I'm not hopeless. Okay, Jessica Alba. Some of you might recognize from like the superhero magazines. Longer uh, also voted many times over uh, sexiest whatever. GQ Magazine is interviewing her. Jessica Alba, how is it that you feel looking at this? They were talking about a cover that she appeared on of a magazine. And Jessica Alba says, I look at that magazine cover and I'm saggy. Um, I have cellulite. My hips are bigger. Every actress out there is more beautiful than me. Every actress out there is more beautiful than me. Now, 
I'm showing you these. We're talking about this, friends, because I want you to see that you're just like a movie star. You and I, you know, when we're standing in front of the mirror, mere mortals, you know, what we see and what we experience, I want you to understand we're not alone in. Even the movie stars experience what you and I experience when we're looking at the mirror. That tells us something, that what we're experiencing is something deep within the human psyche, something that I call the shame of our body, right? We can recognize that. That's what we feel when we look in the mirror, this shame about our bodies, right? We're, we're, we're feeling it. They're feeling it. We're all feeling it because it's something deep inside of us. Now, this matter is addressed by the Bible, believe it or not, and it's addressed in the book of Romans that we're reading about as, as we look at especially the resurrection. We've been reading through the book of Romans. If you've been with us here at Ironworks Church, you've been having a great tour through the book of Romans. And what we notice when we do that is that the, book, the, re, the, the subject of resurrection comes up again and again. The apostle Paul brings it up. We saw even when we opened the book, if you remember back in January, if you can think back that far, when we, we, we introduced the book of Romans. In chapter 1, what did we hear Paul say? That he did something to Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead, right? Remember, God crowned, he, he made Jesus the son of God. He changed the relationship of Jesus Christ by the resurrection. That when Christ rose from the dead, he came to occupy a different relationship to the world. By the resurrection, Romans 1. And he goes on like this. And you know, when we're reading this, we should understand that what we're reading, when we're reading the letters of Paul, like the letters, letter to the Romans, we're reading about the earliest accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Scholars, biblical scholars agree that what we're reading, when we're reading the letters of Paul, is the earliest writings that we have. The Gospels, when they were written down, not the preaching, but the Gospels, when they were written, actually came later. So when we're reading the Apostle Paul, we're reading the 50s and during Paul's life, everyone agrees, this is not what, some 20 years after the events. And Paul is writing about the resurrection, but it's interesting, it's that it's sort of like, you know, taken for granted. When Paul writes about the resurrection, it's not like, oh, listen, this is new, you know? hear this new message. No, it's more like, yeah, we already understand that Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. That's why we have, you know, this hymn that we sing, or that's why we, we have this doctrine that we have. Like, it's already part of the furniture. It's already part of the foundation of what they're talking about. They've already assumed it to be so. Now, that is significant, right? Not 20 years after the event. This isn't like a development that you hear. This is the Apostle Paul saying, this is already something that's, that we've built upon because they believed it so firmly. So we see in Romans chapter 10, right? Paul says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, that is, show him, you know, transfer your allegiance to him and, and believe that, Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the resurrection is, is a fundamental of our salvation. It's how people actually become Christians through the resurrection. 
Uh, Romans 6, remember when we did the baptisms up here, we looked at Romans 6 and we saw what? That baptism was that through which we're united to, to Christ's resurrection. We're united to Christ's resurrection through his baptism. Remember, we are strapped to Christ like the roller coaster. So in baptism, we're strapped to his experience in the resurrection. Uh, Romans 8, who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus, he's the one who was raised. He's at the right hand of God. In fact, he's interceding for us. So we don't experience condemnation because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Another really important concept, right? And Romans 7, we belong to the one who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. So the reason we bear fruit for God, also because of the resurrection. All these ways, Paul brings up the resurrection again and again in the book of Romans, and he does it here in our passage today, also from Romans 8. So let's, let's listen and hear one of the most important implications of Christ rising from the dead. Please stand with me as we listen to James, and he's going to read from us Read the passage from us. It's also in your bulletin, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 6 to 11. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, James. Please be seated. Thank you. So we're living uh, in, a t in a time of a resurgence of Gnosticism. Some of you might know that term, Gnosticism. It refers to a way of thinking, really a religion, that says that the physical is, is lesser than the spiritual. The physical is kind of not important, or the physical is a problem, including human body. That's a problem. What really matters is your soul, your spirit. That's the reality. And Gnosticism downplays or denigrates uh, the physical, including the, the human body. And that was a big thing in the first century. It's something that the Christians, early Christians, had to deal with. But it really goes back uh, into the mists of uh, Greek history. And it's this way of thinking. In fact, they had a pun that they would use. The Gnostics took this up, but it comes from much earlier. There was just a wordplay that they used to say. They used to go around and say it. Soma Sema. Soma Sema. Soma Sema. And uh, that means that the body is a tomb. Soma, body, is Sema, a tomb. And they sound like each other. So they would say Soma Sema. It would mean the body is a tomb. What, are the, what, what, they were, what they were meaning is that, you know, the body's kind of like a shell or a cave in Plato's terms, right? It's, it's, it's something that, that's encasing us, but it's not the real thing. It's not who we really are, you know? What we really are is what's inside. You know, that's kind of a, and that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's, that expression 
of, of that today is kind of like a new Gnosticism. Um, and it's, it's been around for a while, but now it's, it's come to the fore again. And, you know, I have a, a work of art here that I think expresses this really well. This is an etching of a original, originally a line drawing done by William Blake. And he did this uh, line drawing. Then it was, another artist came and etched it in, in great detail. It's the moment of death uh, pictured. And what you see, you notice um, in this kind of beautiful etching, is the, the body is there, but what, you, what you're drawn to is the, is the soul. As the soul leaves the body, okay, the soul is the focus. The soul is the thing that our eyes are drawn to, right? It's, it's uh, literally, literally the center of the picture, right? And it's the soul that has the expression. And I, I would say this is a good meme of what people think today, the way that people look at uh, the, the, their, themselves and life and death. It's like the outside, it's, it's kind of like a, a shell that you're leaving, but, but really who you are is on the inside. And when you believe that, friends, if that's like your view, then a lot of things actually make more sense to you, um, such as reincarnation, that you could actually come back like as a, as a different body and it would still be you because what you are is on the inside, right? Or really, this is a, a fundamental tenet of transgenderism, right? What makes people uh, kind of able to, to say, that makes sense to me, That's, that makes sense. It's because what's, what's on the outside, it's, it's just really like a shell. It's, it's like a tomb, right, or a prison. But what we really are is on the inside. And so, you know, maybe, maybe we should change our body, you know, if we can. Uh, Oliver O'Donovan describes uh, kind of the, the mindset of transgenderism this way. He says, you know, the body is an accident that has befallen the real me. Right? And if you think that way, that the real me is inside, the body is, is kind of like an accident, maybe you can change it, maybe you should change it. You know, or as it said in, the, in that movie, The Danish Girl, which is a kind of romanticized um, account of the first transgender surgery. And there the, the painter says, the actor says, God made me a woman and the doctor is helping by removing the mistake of my body. Right? Makes sense if this is what, the way you look at body and soul. Now, the Christian has a very different view. Okay? It's not like an iPhone skin, our body, that we could change or maybe should change. The Christian view of the body is that we are our bodies. We are our bodies. Adam only became a living, living being when God breathed into his body the breath of life. So for, for a Christian, we would say, that it's not something that's an accessory, but it's part of who we are. I love the way Nancy Piercy, an author, writes about this. She says, you know, when we're eating, we're taking some soup into ourselves, you know. We don't say, my mouth is eating, right? No, I'm eating, right? I'm the one who's eating because it's, it's me who's eating. My body is me, okay? 
or Christopher West, another um, great uh, writer who, who writes on this at times, the way he describes it. He says, you know, if I get angry and I, you know, in a fit of rage, like I might take a guy and I might punch him, you know, and break his jaw, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to sue me, right? But he doesn't sue me for property damage, Christopher West says. He doesn't sue me for property damage. What does he do? He sues me for personal assault, right? It was a personal assault because it's him that I punched. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't sue Sam. We don't want to sue Sam. Right? But this is, this is how we would think. So it's harder for us as Christians to be able to say, you know, male or female is who I am in my body. It's an essential of my identity, my body, right? So it's different. It's different. It's part of our deepest identity as a person. Now, how do we know this? How do we know the Christian view is like, uh, is, is, is the thing that we should be taking on, the, uh, the view that we should adopt? How do we know this from the scriptures, that this is what the scriptures teach? Well, we can look in our passage today and we can see the way that the body is treated. And when we look at our passage, you know, it's, it's easy to misunderstand. Like you might be reading that and you're saying, Sam, actually, I kind of seems the opposite. Isn't it, isn't it the body versus the spirit? If you look at verse 10, isn't Paul kind of setting this up like the spirit good? You know, the body is not good. It's sort of a, an, an antithesis there uh, between the body and the spirit. Verse 10 and verses 6 through 9 talk about the flesh. Isn't it all about how bad the flesh is in verses 6 through 9? You look at that there. Well, what we want to remember, this is actually an important point, um, is that when the, when the New Testament writers use the word flesh, almost always, almost always, it means our sinful nature. Okay, It's not talking about the human body. You can kind of mistake it because it sounds like flesh, right? Flesh. But no, it's almost always used as is a way to say our sinful nature. Um, And so that's why when you read it carefully, you can kind of pick that out. Like in verse 10, it's not saying that the body is the flesh. It's saying that the body is subject to death, what, from sin, that is the flesh, that he's been talking about in verses 6 through 9. The body is subject to death from sin because a our body is part of who we are, so our sinful nature expresses itself in all of, our, all of our ways, including our body, and the way it behaves at times. Um, but that's why the body is not the flesh, that you get to verse 11, it says the body is going to be redeemed. The body is not something that's bad. The body is going to be redeemed, Right? And it goes on, I include verse 13, starts talking about the misdeeds of the body. Not that the body is bad, but the body does have misdeeds because of the sinful nature, the flesh, right? So just a side point, if you're reading in your Bible and you see the word flesh, think sinful nature. You see body, you should think something good, something that's going to be resurrected, actually, in fact. Now, this is uh, important to lean into. Because the Christians had this message when they, they started preaching about Jesus Christ. And this brings us really to the, to the meaning of Easter and what Easter means. 
Easter means, and verse 11 is very specific in telling us this, right? That what happened to Jesus is connected to us because it means this is what's going to happen to us. Okay? What happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. Do you see that in verse 11? You look at that there. Now, this message that your body, when you die, is going to be resurrected, this was novel. This was novel in the ancient world. It wasn't like people like, oh, yeah, this is one of the ways that people think about what kind of, you know, people had different theories about what happens when you die, what happens to your body after you die. They thought this or that. But, but people did not think that your body was going to physically rise from the grave. That was new. And what was so strange about these, these darn Christians is that they, they were so sure about it. They were so confident about it. They came forth with this message and it was like, we will be raised. Our bodies will come out. Our whole bodies will be raised from the dead. That was so strange. But what was stranger is that they were so confident about it. Now, why could it be? How could it be? Because this was really new. It was something that was bizarre. So how would it be that the, you had this group of people who were so confident about this bizarre new idea. How could it be? I don't know. Maybe because they saw someone rise from the dead? It's really the only reason. It's, it's the only reason that they could be so confident that they could come forth with this message. And it's, you know, the body is not unimportant. The body is not going away. The body will rise again. It powered their living. This is the way they looked at life and death. It's a completely new way. Was, this is something the resurrection of Jesus Christ did in them. Pro, it propelled them forward because he rose. They knew they were going to rise also. Beautiful, beautiful idea. And beautifully expressed, you know, I, I want to direct your attention to another work of art that I think gets at it for, for us. This, uh, what I'm showing you here, is um, a marker of a grave of a Polish family in uh, the cemetery of Montaigne in the south of France. And it's just in the cemetery, you know, sitting there on this kind of hilly area. But one of my, one of my wife's favorite sculptures because you can see it, what, what's going on there is it's sort of giving us a picture, a metaphor of the, of the resurrection. And what's happening on this uh, grave marker uh, here is, is the, the, the top of the coffin's being blown off there. You see the, the top of the coffin's pushed off and, and the body is rising, right, in this corporeal glory uh, that you see. And it's, it's so extravagant there. It kind of helps that it's outside, you know, it's on this kind of mountainside or hill, hillside there. But uh, you see this, this exuding, this physical glory that's going on. And the exuberance here in this piece is unforgettable when you see it, right? This is the human body and corporal uh, celebration, right? That's what the Christians were preaching. That's what they were saying. The body is coming forth in glory. And this was important. 
Very important. In fact, you can see even in verse 11, um, it's so important, this, this statement about the resurrection, that it's telling us something about God. What can you tell about God from verse 11? Anybody can tell me something about God from verse 11? Something important? Anything that you notice? Might have to do with a, a contest that Pastor Sam had instituted. Anybody see anything? Ah! <laughs> the, there's one of Paul's Trinitarian triads right here in this verse. You know, it's actually twice uh, he says it. What is he telling us? Is that all the persons of the Trinity are involved in the resurrection because it's so important. All of God and the persons of the Trinity interact to, to make the resurrection happen. That's how crucial it is for us. So you, you see what this, what this brings about. With the, what, the, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of it for us, you see what it tells us? Do you see that this is the meaning of Easter? That our bodies are loved. Our bodies are not inconsequential. They're not like an iPhone skin. They're loved. Our bodies are loved. That's so important. God is not looking down on our bodies as something that's, that, are, that is a hindrance, something that, you know, is uh, something for us to get free of. That, you know, like in so many science fiction stories now, if you know you just upload your consciousness onto a hard drive, it would still be you. <laughs> and you could get rid of this thing, your body. No, that's not what Easter says. Easter says, no, your body actually is treasured. It's loved. Friends, that has great implications for us. And what will happen to us? I love this uh, quote by Corey Ten Boom, who is uh, a woman who saw the human body absolutely, absolutely horrifically um, treated in the Nazi concentration camps. And this is what she learned from it when she came out. So this is what she had to say. The body is ugly when it is not loved. Amen, Corey. That is true. But when it is loved by somebody who is important, it changes the way our body looks, doesn't it? Changes what we are. It changes our experience at the mirror. So what I want to do for us this morning is just take verse 11 and apply it to us. I just want to make sure that we get this and what it means for us in terms of this experience that we have. Okay? What are we being told in verse 11? Look at it closely. Your body is not just going to go away, but the resurrection will give life to your mortal bodies. Life to your mortal bodies. So what does that mean for you in front of a mirror? You, you want to know the best way to celebrate Easter? Best way to celebrate Easter is to go into your room, disrobe, and look at yourself in front of the mirror and thank God for what you see. Now, I know that's strange to hear. That's hard, but I'm, I'm charging you here as your pastor. 
Forget the bunnies and the, and the rabbits and the, and the eggs and stuff. You really want to really get into Easter. You want to really know the meaning of Easter. Go and look at yourself alone. alone. I'm not saying with somebody else. You don't have to be embarrassed. But alone, when you are naked, look in the mirror. And instead of what you usually do, having your eyes go to all the places that you don't like, you know, that's what you do, right? That's what our eyes go to all the places we don't like. Instead of that, Take in the whole glory of who you are and understand that this is heading toward redemption, that what you're looking at is going to be redeemed. It is going to be raised. You will rise. And, and, and recall that this is because Jesus Christ rose. He rose. That's what Easter means. That's what it means for you. Take in the wonder of that. That's verse 11. I know that's hard for us. You know, you think about doing that. It's like, I don't know, Pastor Sam. I don't know if I want to do that, right? It's because we're, we're functional Gnostics, right? We imbibe that from our culture. It's like a body is, you know, it's something bad. We, we kind of take that in. But Easter should contradict that sensibility in us. Easter should change the way that we look at our life and death and our bodies, right? Because Christ rose, you will get life to your mortal bodies. Okay, so that's one thing, is to celebrate, is to appreciate what God has done there. But secondly, you, you should honor God with your bodies, right? 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, you know, because we are members of Jesus Christ, implied that he, the one who rose, so honor your God with your bodies. That is, take care of it. You know, some of you really need to play more ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> that you really want to think about. Now, I'm, I realize, I realize, I recognize, okay, that not everybody is going to play ultimate Frisbee, okay? Don't understand that, but I do accept it. Okay, I've come to accept that. But, so maybe that's not your thing. But do something, you know. Maybe just take a walk. Some of you are very, in very cerebral jobs, right? You're in front of the computer all the time. You especially need to order your life such that you are using your body, so that you are exercising your body to honor, honor God with that. And maybe it's just take a walk. Maybe that's what it is for you. Taking a walk or using your body in some way, enjoying it. So, you know, to, to say honor God with your bodies doesn't just mean don't sin with it. It means to make sure you are enjoying it, enjoying what God has created because it's you. That's what we believe as Christians. It's you, right? Some of us here, I know, are trying to lose weight. Let me tell you something. You do not start, to, you do not really lose weight in a sustainable way until you learn how to enjoy what you eat. And that's because of the truth of, this, of Christianity here. You know, losing weight is not just limiting what you eat. That's part of it. But it's also very much about enjoying what you do eat, the part that you're not limiting. For us to be able to lose weight in a, in a sustained way, it's, a, it's about enjoying uh, being able to celebrate the part, that's the, the part that we do eat, what it is that we are eating, you know? That should definitely be, a, you know, something they say in Noom, 
right? Whatever it is that they say and doom, that should be a part of it, right? Because that's, 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 that's what we know as Christians, that this enjoyment of the body is very much God's intention for us, very much part of the plan. And savoring is part of the limiting. So, because Christ rose, we honor the body. If we want to help our children with their body image problems, for those of us who are parents feeling a little squeamish about this, we need to adjust in our attitudes because we are not going to be able to help our children with their body image problems unless we love our own bodies, unless that's true about our own bodies. You know, and this is why, as Christians, also, we cannot endorse medical operations that take healthy bodies and do damage to healthy bodies in the name of imitating the other gender. It's not something that we can support, not because we're bigoted, but because of the esteem that we have for the human body, for the way in which we see God lifting up the human body. This is not something um, that we can that we can endorse and put our weight behind. You know, and I would say to you, if, if you are here and you are experiencing regret from some of the decisions maybe that you've made in the past that have had an effect on your body or maybe some of the decisions your parents have made in the past, this is something that you need to know. Verse 11, you will rise. If you're experiencing any trans regret here, you need, to, you need to hear verse 11. You need to hear it loud and clear. You will rise. All of you will rise. There are not eunuchs in the resurrection. When, when Jesus Christ said they will not be married or given in marriage, that's not what he meant. When there is a resurrection, it's the resurrection of our whole selves, our bodies, and all of you will be brought up. And lift it up. All of you, you will be made whole. You need to know that. Especially, you know, if you have difficulties in different ways. Some of us, you know, we, we can't, we're camped out in verse 10. But some of us are saying, you know, pastor, that's fine for what you say, but my body is falling apart. <laughs> you look at verse 10, it's like this, this death that's coming from sin, that's overcoming the body, that's me. You know, I'm, my foot is halfway in the grave already. My body has fallen apart. You need, to know, you need to move on from verse 10 to verse 11. You need to know this. You will rise. You need to look at your body, even though it is falling apart. You need to understand that verse is for you too. You will rise. That's what I mean about looking in the mirror and being able to say that to yourself. This thing that God has made my body I will rise. That's what, that's what the passage is saying to us. That's what verse 12 wants us, you know, to, to get into our hearts here. You know, there aren't a lot of guarantees in life, folks, but Jesus Christ makes this guarantee about us. He gives this guarantee to you that you shall rise again. If you feel like the flesh is overtaking the mortal body, 
You need to know it shall not win because you will rise from the dead. Hear the witness of the scriptures to you today. Because Christ rose, you shall rise. Please stand with me.